We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Romans chapter 13 tonight, please. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For there are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts invite you to open God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be picking up in our section, which is verses 8 to verse 13, 8 to 13, on the qualifications for deacons. And we started looking at that last uh, Sunday evening, or perhaps actually I think it was uh, Wednesday evening that we did that. Um, uh, not this past one, but the one before. We pick up there this evening to finish off that section. But as I was just thinking about this passage more and reading it over in connection to what we looked at before in the previous section on qualifications of overseers or pastors, I was trying to think of of how we can summarize uh, all of this together. Um, There's a brother in the church that likes to remind me to, you know, get to the executive summary you know, what is, what is the kind of the one-sentence thing? And so this is for that brother this evening. And that's this. If we can summarize it and, and kind of distill it to this, that God cares most importantly about the character of the leadership of the church. His primary concern is the heart, the spiritual life of the church leadership. What they do is certainly important, and Paul touches that on that in part, he talks about a, an overseer or a pastor being able to teach, and so that's kind of one, one uh, service that he does, one, one of his responsibilities. But in comparison to all the others, which are focused on the heart, we can see because of that then, in relationship to the deacons as well, that God's primary concern is the, is the heart, not necessarily what his responsibilities are. And if his heart isn't in the right place, then, then he has no place in the leadership of the church. 
So that may sound kind of self-explanatory, but sometimes we get kind of caught in the weeds of this and kind of forget what is, what is God trying to teach us. And uh, I think that's at least one, one thing that he wants us to learn from this section, or these two sections, really. But let's pick up this evening in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let me read for you this evening, and you can follow along in verses 8 to 13. And we won't do too much of a review of the previous verses. We, I think we covered that um, pretty well. And let me say this, too. If you're interested, the notes are online this evening, uh, both the notes from last time and also this evening. You can find that there if you're interested in following along this evening. And uh, you can go there to fbc.aa, or excuse me, fbca.org slash docs. But let me read here uh, verses 8 to 13. And Paul says this to Timothy, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I think the truth that we find here from this section, verses 8 to 13, is this, that men who meet uh, such, these such qualifications for deacons may serve and will be rewarded if they serve well. We see that in verse 13, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on this evening. Now, again, I, w- I don't want to review that much, but we looked at this idea of what is a deacon, and we looked at the noun use of it, and we said that it can be used to refer, uh, it can have a general kind of use to refer to any kind of minister or servant, because that's what that word means. We've kind of just transliterated it into English, but it means servant or minister. In fact, Brother Nelson used the word, whether he realized that or not, in Romans chapter 13 to refer to government authorities. They are referred to as God's ministers or deacons, really, of the Lord in a different kind of function than the office of deacon, but nonetheless a deacon, a servant, a minister of of God. And that word is used in other places to refer to this general idea of servant or minister, We said it can refer to someone who is a servant of a particular master, a human master, or maybe a a, a deity, God. A servant of Christ, it can refer to that, or a servant of the Lord. A servant of the apostles, we see this in Colossians 1.7. A servant of the church, Colossians 1.25, and like I said a moment ago, also to government authorities in Romans 13, verses 1 to 4. But then there's the, the verb kind of use of it, where it refers to someone who is ministering, who, who ministers, uh, and we see actually the use, that verb use in, uh, uh, in, in verse 10 here this evening. It says, uh, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons. So we see uh, it used to refer to the service performed by Deacons, but it can refer in general to anyone who attends to the wants or the needs of others. We see this all throughout the New Testament, or someone who helps to serve food or drink, but it doesn't have to necessarily stop there. In fact, you know, as you know, our deacons do much beyond just you know, waiting on tables. Uh, they do prepare the Lord's table, but they do other, uh, have other responsibilities in the church and uh, in the leadership of the church on the church council. And so it doesn't necessarily stop at waiting tables, but it's that idea of serving the needs of the church in whatever capacities the, uh, the church asks them to do. Um, we also said that uh, the, the office of pastor and deacon are similar in some sense, yet distinct in other ways. Like pastors... Uh, deacons must also meet certain qualifications. We see these, these qualifications back-to-back here in 1 Timothy 3. And they're similar in, in one sense, yet there are distinctions between them. There are exceptions. They're not uh, exactly the same qualifications. There's some overlap, yet there's a few exceptions. And because of the similarity I said last time, it demonstrates that the character of a deacon is just as important as the character of a pastor as he must undergo the same kind of careful scrutiny 
as a pastor before being appointed as a deacon. Of course, their responsibilities differ, however. Deacons are not required to be able to teach, although they can if they're gifted in that way, but that is one distinction, one exception to their qualifications. So to distill this kind of down, then, deacons and pastors are, we could say, distinct in function, but yet are similar or to be similar in character. Distinct in function, but are to be similar in character. And just like the qualifications for a pastor, these qualities pertain to the individual's character, not particularly his duties as a deacon, like we said just a moment ago at the beginning. Of course, duties and responsibilities must be carried out well, but the scripture plainly teaches us that God's concern is not primarily ability, but spiritual virtue, spiritual character, their spiritual life. God requires men whose hearts are right with him to hold these positions of church leadership. And this implies then that deacons perform a vital function of the church if they're held to such a high standard in the scripture. We then looked at uh, in verses 8 through 10, or some of the the qualifications in 8 to 10. And uh, last time we, we finished off with this qualification, that they are to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. We see that in verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And I just want to review that one for a moment because we kind of rushed through it at the very end of last time. What exactly does this mean? This is what I think Paul is teaching us, is that a deacon must believe in the deep truths of the gospel and live a life in conformity to those truths. He holds fast to the mystery of the faith. He holds his, his uh, internally, he accepts and embraces them as the truth, and then his life exemplifies those truths in his service and in his personal life. Now, you may be scratching your head and, and asking, you know, what does Paul mean, the mystery of the faith? What is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Well, the mystery is something that once was undisclosed but now has been uh, revealed, It doesn't mean that it's still a mystery, but that at one point it was a mystery, but now it's been revealed. And what has been revealed is the gospel of Christ Jesus. He has died on the cross. He's he's risen from the grave. And and now God is calling all men, both Jew and Gentiles, to repent. And that was the mystery that once was not revealed, especially in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed. And so uh, that is what Paul means, I believe, by mystery of the faith, the faith being the kind of body of truths that we believe and accept as, as God's word and as the gospel. And so deacons are to hold these truths with a pure conscience. Now, holding with a pure conscience can be accomplished by submitting oneself to God's truth as revealed in Scripture. Just because uh, deacons in some churches may be tasked to do more practical ministries, you know, such as cleaning the church building or other mundane kind of activities. And they may not be teaching or counseling or on a church board even. This does not mean that their spiritual life is therefore irrelevant to their service. Paul's making this very clear that it is relevant. I, you know, you may ask, why, well, why, why so relevant or, you know, why kind of, uh, why kind of explain something that seems already to be clear or to be understandable. Well, I think it may be because of this. It may be tempting in a church, not necessarily our church, but any church, to appoint deacons who are skillful in practical ways of service. Perhaps they're, you know, good with finances, they're handy, you know, they're they're a plumber, they're an electrician, whatever. And so we say, well, you know, these are the kind of people we want because they're going to help keep the church up, you know, and running, and uh, they're going to serve a very practical, practical purpose. At the expense, though, of overlooking their spiritual life, and we don't want to get the two backward. We first and foremost test their spiritual life, and then we look at, you know, what is their giftedness? Are they using their gifts? Are they serving? And, uh, but that's secondary. We're not to appoint a deacon based on these criteria of their practical kind of giftedness or service, but rather whether, on, whether he embraces the truth of God's word and his conscience is free of guilt. Of course, only he knows that wholeheartedly, whether his conscience is clear, whether he's free of sin in his life. But 
uh, we can observe through his manner and through his character whether whether he seems to be a man of God or whether there is sin in his life. And so he is to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Paul goes on, though, to uh, give us other qualifications. It says in verse 10, But let these also be tested. That is, excuse me, that is the deacons to be tested. Deacons must first be examined before they are appointed. And let us be clear, this is not an examination of oneself that Paul has in mind, but the church's examination of a prospective or present deacons. So it's not, you know, he doesn't go and say, I think I passed the test, you know, make me a deacon. Rather, it's our uh, observation of him uh, to say whether or not he is, he is uh, a man of faith, of sound doctrine, and his life exemplifies Christ's character. We, as the church, are to examine him, not himself. He's not to examine himself. The church is to test to see whether they demonstrate the necessary qualities to hold the office and whether they are serving well presently. And notice what I said there, serving well presently. We're looking for men who are not just, uh, you know, we think they're going to make good deacons, but we really don't see them serve at all. No, I think part of the idea is here that we, they are already serving the church. And so it's a natural fit to say we'd like to appoint you as a deacon because of how you have demonstrated that you hold to the mystery of the faith with the pure conscience and your, and your service to the Lord demonstrates that uh, through your works. And I think that's where there's some practical application even for you young folks here this evening. You know, you may wonder, how does this apply to me? You know, all this church leadership stuff, I don't even really understand it, pastors, deacons, but let us be clear about this. If you begin today to serve the Lord faithfully, out of a pure conscience, out of a love to, for God's people and a love for the Lord, and you say, I, I'm, I want to hold fast to that faith. I want to live it out. I want to serve the church. It may just be folding bulletins. It may be helping with VBS this summer. Uh, it may be helping in the nursery, but I, I want to serve the Lord. And you continue to cultivate that in your life, then before you know it, whatever church you may be in, maybe it's a Fellowship Bible Church, maybe it's the church in the next community, maybe it's some church out of state, wherever you end up, you are setting yourself up, the Lord is setting you up to be a faithful deacon in that church. And the church may just look at you and say, wow, there's a man of God who serves the Lord. And we can, you know, we can give that recommendation to that church and say, you know, from an early age, he was serving the Lord. And we think he'd be a good deacon. And so think about that, how your ministry even now can affect how God will use you in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. You never know. But I'll even add to that, you're not, you're not too old either to begin serving. Maybe you think, oh, I, you know, I, I do love the Lord and I want to serve him, but I, I just don't know how. I don't know where. Well, ask, ask someone on the church council, ask pastor. There's plenty of places to serve and do that. Without even the mind of whether or not, you know, the church will appoint you as a deacon one day. Just serve because you love the Lord. And one day, uh, the Lord may choose to, to have you serve in, in the church leadership as a deacon or some other kind of role. Now, in regards to this testing that Paul commands, we said the church is to test to see whether they demonstrate these necessary qualities and that they are showing an active uh, desire to serve the Lord already, but we need to think about this test not as a kind of a one-time examination. I don't think it's like, um, you know, don't necessarily have in your mind the kind of ordination process that we have uh, for a pastor where uh, he stands up, you know, and defends his doctrine, although I'll say there's more to an ordination than that, but we won't get into that now, but it's not this kind of one-time examination of his doctrine. Rather, it's an ongoing kind of examination. It's an ongoing testing that's going on uh, in, in the church of its deacons or prospective deacons. It's an ongoing assessment of their character and faith and service to the Lord to see whether it really matches you know, their, their faith and their practice, whether or not it aligns with these qualities that Paul lays out here. 
And this command parallels the instruction given by Paul to Timothy to not hastily appoint elders because their character must be tested first. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let me turn there and read that to you. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And then verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So I think the idea here that Paul is getting at is that we are not to lay hands hastily in this sense, or in this case, on elders, but first test them to make sure that they are true men of God and that their faith is genuine and that they are truly, you know, not living in sin because some sins aren't more as evident as at first than others may be, like someone that just, you know, just spews profanity. Of course, that's going to be clearly evident from the beginning. Other sins are more hidden, and so it's a, it's a slower process to appoint them because we want to make sure that their, their faith and their practice are genuine. And I think the same principle then applies to deacons, and that's why Paul instructs us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to, to test them. Uh, before appointing them. We want to observe their life carefully, since, as Paul puts it, not all sins are immediately apparent and take longer to surface. Now, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says this uh, in, at the end of verse 10, that they, being tested, they are to be found blameless. So only upon being tested and found above reproach is the church then to appoint a deacon to serve. Can't, uh, he can't uh, be appointed before this kind of examination. Of course, as we said, this is an ongoing examination. And, and so, um, you know, someone actually asked back, I think, at our, our business meeting in January about um, the idea of, you know, could we have more deacons? And the, and the answer to that is, of course we can, if they meet these qualities and if we find after testing them and observing their character that they, uh, they are qualified. And so, in one sense, we are to be doing that right now. Uh, and not just the church leadership, you know, being the observant ones, but all of us to say and look around in the church and see, you know, what men are serving the Lord and, you know, how are they conducting themselves in the home? Are they, are they, uh, are they leading their homes well? Are they above reproach? And, you know, maybe, maybe those men would be good deacons. And, I think that we should all be carefully observing others to, to recognize that, and then as we see fit and as the need arises, then to appoint them into that position. Now, Paul then gives a similar instruction as we find uh, for elders, and that is that they are to be husbands or uh, husband of one wife or literally a one-woman man. As with elders, we said that this means a deacon cannot Practice polygamy, that of course is off, off limits. But it means more than that, though. It means that he is to be faithful to his wife, both in conduct and thought life. He's not to be an adulteress or a fornicator. The same is required of elders. We see that we saw that in chapter 3, verse 2. And as with elders, Paul is not addressing uh, marital status, but moral character. What I mean by that is unmarried men are not be prohibited from being deacons. That's what, not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about their moral character. Um, we said last time with elders that you know, widow, widowers are not prohibited from remarriage. If he was faithful to her to death, he is free to remarry, according to Hebrews 13.4. Also, you know, unmarried men could be deacons as long as they're, you know, they meet the rest of the qualifications. And this isn't a qualification that he has to be married. Again, it's about the moral character, not his status. He also is to lead the home well, just as an elder is to do. What does it mean to lead the home well or to rule the house well? Well, uh, that means that he is to rule, uh, means to exercise a position of leadership or rule or direct uh, or be the head of the home. It carries the idea of leading or directing or presiding over his household. It carries uh, uh, the same word that is appears in First Thessalonians 5.12 where 
uh, talks about ruling over you. In 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule are to, to rule well. His ability to rule his house well is demonstrated by, we said last time, the submissiveness of the children to his parents or to the parents. As with elders, Paul is not using, or Paul is using a lesser to greater argument, although we said not lesser in value, but lesser in size. You know, the family unit is smaller than the, you know, the church body. And so it's not that the family is less valuable or less valued, but that, you know, if he can't manage a small, you know, unit like his own household made up of three, four, or five people, how is he going to manage a church who, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 or more? In other words, the, the home is a microcosm of the household of God, and one's ability to lead the church is evident in his ability to lead his home. Now, you'll notice that I, I kind of skipped a few uh, verses here when I went to this one, uh, qualification of leading the home well, and that is because uh, verse 11 uh, addresses the wives of deacons. And so we were focusing on, on the deacon themselves. But now let us uh, look at verse 11. And verse 11 tells us this. It says, likewise, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now, uh, we addressed this in part, I think, last time, uh, this question of does the Bible permit deaconesses in the official sense of uh, a woman serving in the official capacity of the office of deacon? Well, I'll say this, there are many churches who allow women to serve as deacons in this official sense. While we may not agree uh, with their opinion on this or their interpretation, uh, their argument, I will say this, rests on apparent biblical examples of deaconesses and that the word uh, for women here in 1 Timothy 3.11, the word by itself doesn't tell us whether Paul meant wives of deacons or deaconesses. It simply means women or, uh, or, uh, or, or wives. So uh, we kind of have to do some uh, comparison with other scripture to really understand what does Paul mean. Um, all that to say, you know, it, it seems apparent to us, but there's, there's the fact that there seems to be apparent biblical examples of deaconesses, and this word itself is not necessarily self-explanatory uh, outside of if we don't consider the context around it. And uh, if you're looking at the notes, you'll find uh, that uh, I f there are a, is a text box there. And I find that the following translator's notes from the NET Bible, N-E-T Bible in the second edition, provide a helpful summary of the argument of both sides. That is, the argument for deaconesses in the official sense and the argument for that this word means wives of deacons. And so I'm not necessarily going to work through all of those now. Um, I will just address the second one, which is the, the argument that this means wives of deacons, but you can read the rest of it uh, on your own some other time. The translation wives, that is referring to the wives of deacons, is probably to be preferred, though, for, for the following reasons. Number one, it would be strange for the author to discuss women deacons right in the middle of the qualifications for male deacons. More naturally, they would be addressed by themselves, perhaps at, you know, before, um, you know, if, you know, before verse 8 or after verse 13, or maybe right before verse 13. But, uh, but he puts it right in the center, which kind of seems to break the passage up unnecessarily. Second, the author seems to indicate clearly in the next verse that women are not deacons because he says deacons must be husbands of one wife. So uh, another reason why we would see this to mean wives of deacons. Number three, most of the qualifications given for deacons elsewhere do not appear here. Either the author has truncated the requirements for women deacons or he is not actually referring to women deacons. The latter seems to be the more natural understanding. And then number four, the principle given in 1 Timothy 2.12 appears to be an overarching principle for church life, which seems... Uh, implicitly to limit the role of deacon to men. And let me just read uh, 2.12 for you since it's been a little while since we looked at this, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And the office of deacon inherently is a position of leadership, 
of exercising authority, uh, especially in a church like ours where they're a part of the church council and making decisions on behalf of the church or guiding the church to make decisions. And so um, we, we see this, that it has to be, you know, based on these arguments, we seem best to understand this to mean wives of deacons. And so uh, why is Paul then uh, giving us certain qualifications for wives? Because, you know, in our head, in one sense, we might think, well, you know, they're not the ones serving in the office, so what, what does it matter, uh, you know, what they're like? Well, uh, let me say first, in conclusion, I believe that Paul meant wives of deacons, not deaconesses. Uh, and, yeah, let me backtrack a moment and just say, where Scripture seems to refer to some women as deaconesses, like in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Uh, It says this, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church, or a deacon, that's uh, what this word servant means, in uh, in Centuria. So, you know, Paul seems to be calling Phoebe here a a deacon, so how how do we understand this? How do we interpret this? Well, where scripture seems to refer to some women as deaconesses, it's not referring to those who hold a position of church leadership, but rather of those who are characterized as servants or ministers in a church. In one sense, you know, any one of us uh, could be a servant of the church. I hope we are, serving and ministering to the church in various ways through our giftedness. And so um, it, may, it doesn't have to be referring to the official office, but simply someone who is a minister, like a government authority is a minister of, of, uh, of God. Um, and so, in this sense, I think in Romans chapter 16, that's what Paul means simply, that she is, her life and her actions are, or her characterization is that she is a servant or a minister in the church. She has a servant's heart and she serves the needs of others, and such individuals are gifted in attending to the needs of others. You might, you might think, be thinking of someone in our church right now that just has a servant's heart. They, they intuitively know, you know, kind of how to meet someone's needs, whether it be financially or, or giving them comfort or counsel or a word of encouragement. They have a servant's heart. They, they know how to meet those needs, you know, bringing food over when they're, when they're sick or when they just had a baby. And so those people, we could say, are characterized as servants, servant-hearted. And I think that's what Paul is, is getting at in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, when, it comes, uh, when he talks of, of Phoebe being a servant in this church. And we see other examples of that too. Like in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, let me just look at that one real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul actually calls Timothy a servant or a deacon in verse 6. He says, "If, uh, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good deacon or minister of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, we know that Timothy wasn't serving in an official capacity as, an, as a deacon in the church in Ephesus. So he has to mean some other kind of service or, min, or some other kind of minister. And, and so similarly, like Phoebe, I think he's referring to the fact that he is a minister in this sense of Jesus Christ, just as, as Phoebe was a minister or a servant of this particular church. And so not all uses of the word minister or servant have to refer to the office in the official sense. Now, uh, moving back then to what we were speaking about in regard to uh, women's, uh, the wives of deacons and the qualities that they must exemplify, we note this, that a man cannot serve as a deacon if his wife does not exemplify godly conduct. Deacons' wives must meet certain qualities. Notice then that there is more to judge a woman on than her ability to to perform duties in the home. There is also her character. In other words, you know, she may be a great cook, she may be, you know, you know, a great house, you know, wife and cleaning and all of that, but, but there's more to it than that. There's also her character, and I think this goes back to what Paul said in, chap, uh, in chapter 2 about adorning herself with good works. Not just, uh, you know, not putting the priority upon her apparel and her outward appearance, but adorning her inward self with inner godliness, demonstrating her, her pursuit of, of godliness by, by her good deeds. And so this similarly applies then, of course, to wives of deacons, that they are 
uh, that there's more to, to, their, uh, to their work than just what they do around the home, but how they conduct themselves in the household of God and in the home. And of course, no doubt this, these apply to wives of overseers as well. We don't see these particular instructions in that first section that re, in regard to pastors, but um, no doubt they apply similarly to, to pastors' wives as well. And so Paul points out that wives of deacons are to be first reverent. Like their husbands, deacons' wives must be reverent. It means to be esteemed by others. Deacons' wives are to have upstanding and righteous character, which uh, evoke honor and respect. They're not demanding it, but rather their lives, exemplifying godliness, evoke that kind of respect for her because of how she conducts herself. They're not to be slanderers. That is to say, she's not to engage in evil, malicious talk intended to damage or destroy another person's uh, you know, reputation. Uh, Psalm 30, 31, 13 talks about this, as well as chapter 50, uh, or Psalm 50, verse 20. She is not to be gossiping. Uh, we see a similar, uh, uh, similar command given uh, to uh, widows in 1 Timothy chapter f- uh, 5, verse 13. Uh, let me back up to uh, verse 11. It says in chapter 5 of uh, First Timothy, but refuse the younger widows, for uh, when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying these things which they ought not. And so uh, she is not to be a gossiper, the same command is given of older women in the church in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. She's not to be like those who in the last days are characterized as, as slanderers, like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3 talks about. So she is to be reverent, not a slanderer, and she is also to be temperate. Temperate uh, means to be restrained in conduct, self-controlled and level-headed. The same characteristic is required of elders in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, as well as of older men in Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Deacons' wives are temperate when they show uh, control or moderation in their behavior by their words, meaning they're not slanderers. Uh, They show themselves temperate by uh, their appearance, like we spoke about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and by their actions, in contrast to those who uh, were acting unruly, like we saw in uh, chapter 5, verses 11 to 15, where these widows were going about gossiping and slandering you know, one another and others in the church uh, and not using their time well, not behaving as they ought. Finally, uh, Paul instructs that uh, deacons' wives are to be faithful in all things. We see this at the end of verse 11. The idea is that she is trustworthy in every respect. She, show, she shows herself as an honest person, a reliable person, both you know, in, the, in the house to her husband, but also in her ministries in the church. She shows herself truthful to her husband, her children, and others in all areas of life, matters inside and outside the home. She, you know, she isn't double-tongued. You know, she is truthful, she's honest to, to those in her household and outside. That is what it means to be faithful in all things. So we see here that Paul lays out then both qualifications for deacons, which we've looked at, as well as the wives of deacons. And then Paul says this, as we uh, conclude this evening in verse 13. He says this about deacons, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I spent quite an amount of time thinking about what does this mean? What does this look like? Uh, it's an interesting idea that I think Paul is presenting here and uh, one that you know, uh, is due much, much thought and attention. I think what Paul is doing here is he's kind of uh, he's concluding this section on deacons like he introduced the section on elders. 
What do I mean by that? Well, similar to Paul's encouragement to those aspiring to the office of elder, he concludes this list of qualifications with an encouragement to deacons. Remember what he said uh, at the beginning of chapter 3? He said, uh, if a man desires the position of a bishop or a pastor, he desires a good thing, a good work. And so just like Paul begins the section on elders saying, this is a good thing, a word of encouragement to such you know, prospective pastors or present pastors, he ends the qualifications of deacons with a similar word of encouragement, saying, if you serve well as a deacon, you obtain for yourself a good standing and great boldness in the faith. There, there are rewards, Paul then is saying, rewards, Paul is saying, for those deacons who serve well. Deacons who serve well... Paul says, gain for themselves, number one, a good standing and great, and secondly, a great boldness in the faith. Deacons acquire these uh, rewards through their actual doing of their ministry. Not, uh, well, I'll get that, get to it in a moment. So in demonstrating their faithful service to the Lord in the church, they acquire for themselves an honorable reputation amongst the church body and acquire a greater confidence in the faith in Christ Jesus. And we'll talk about what that means just here in a moment. But I want to, I want to draw attention to the fact that this is not something that we, uh, we, we give to them or bestow upon them. Rather, it is something that they obtain themselves. That's what Paul says, right? Obtain for themselves uh, through their good service. So by serving well in the church as deacons, they actually obtain it for themselves. It's not like a... It's not a, a gold medal that we place on them saying, you know, you now have a better standing or now you have greater boldness, but rather through their, through, through their actual service to the church, you know, whether it be one year, two years, or, or a decade of service, they are obtaining through their service this, these two rewards. <clears throat> Scripture teaches us that humility before God will result in exaltation by God. James chapter 4, verse 10 and then also, uh, let me look at. Let me read for you First Peter, First um, Peter chapter five, verse six tells us this. First Peter chapter five, verse um, six. Therefore, humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And then. Uh, let me also read uh, James chapter 4, verse 10. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so deacons, through their faithful service, their humble service to the Lord, will actually acquire for themselves, that's what it means to obtain, acquire for themselves a, a high standing, a good standing amongst the church brethren. And so their humble service before God results in exaltation by God and also by the church. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 say this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And uh, of course, this likely refers to pastors in the church, but I think all of the church leadership, which includes deacons, the two offices of church leadership, uh, elders and deacons. And so their humble service uh, lends itself to God exalting them and also the church holding them up in high esteem. And how does that happen? Well, through their faithful service, we look at them and we say, wow, there's a man who loves to serve the Lord, who is serving the Lord. He's a respectable man. He's, he's, a, he's a, a man that we, we should honor. He's honorable through his character and through his, through his service. And so through their faithful service, deacons will obtain a standing that both elevates themselves uh, by their service, but it also does this as well, I think. It, 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 also, um, it also elevates the office of deacon. So not just the person filling the office, but also the office itself, which you know, any qualified man can fill by saying, wow, this is an honorable position because only men who serve well and who are qualified can obtain to such a position in the church. And so uh, one man's faithful service 
elevates the office as a whole. We could say it the other way around. Someone who doesn't serve faithfully also kind of devalues the office. Well, look at that. You know, it seems like anyone can be a deacon. It doesn't really matter who they are, how they act, or how they serve. And so through faithful service, they elevate not only themselves in a good standing, but also the office. I would add to that what Paul is not saying is that we honor them with a ceremony, you know, in other words, placing them in a position of honor through some formal recognition. Oh, however, you know, that may be appropriate. For instance, you know, someone served for a de- decade or two or three in the office and, you know, they finally step down to allow someone else to take on the position. And I think we can have some kind of, you know, mention of that and of their faithful service. But that's not necessarily what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about uh, the fact that through their service, they, they obtain for themselves a high standing over time. Among God's people, deacons will obtain a good standing because of that service. In other words, good service generates a good standing. Good service generates a good standing before God and man. Now, Paul says, uh, points out that there's a second reward. Not only do they ob- uh, obtain a good standing, but also, he says, great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Deacons who serve well, and remember, serve well, there's that qualifier, will also obtain a greater confidence in the faith. You may ask yourself this question, how does good service result in greater confidence in the faith? Likely, Paul means that by serving well, deacons gain a greater boldness to act upon the truth as a result of an increased uh, personal faith in Christ Jesus. The more you serve the Lord, the more the more uh, your, your own personal faith in Christ grows. The more that you grow to love the Lord, understand what he desires of you, understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and to serve him day in and day out. And so um, deacons gain a greater boldness to act upon that truth of what they have accepted as the truth, embraced in their hearts, and in which they already stand, of course, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Such progress in their faith will only further embolden them for greater service. So it's kind of a a cyclical fashion. The more that they serve well, the greater boldness, uh, the greater boldness they have in their faith. And more uh, greater boldness in the faith lends itself to greater service. And so more and more uh, they grow. Often in the New Testament, greater boldness means boldness or freedom in communication, uh, most, most uh, often in reference to the gospel. And so, you know, Paul talks about how in all boldness he spoke and he preached the gospel. This may mean that their greater confidence will not only be expressed toward God in their faith, but also towards others by speaking to others about spiritual matters with great boldness. And so their good service to the Lord and to the church lends itself to a greater boldness in the faith and so that they, they are more confident in their presentation of the gospel and in, their, in, in how they are able to, to persuade men of, of what they know to be true because of their long-standing service to the Lord. Now, I'm thankful that God has given to us deacons who not only serve the church practically, but also demonstrate greater boldness in their faith through spiritual wisdom that they offer to church members and the rest of uh, the church leadership. They demonstrate an unashamedness about spiritual truth and their own spiritual convictions. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. As they serve well in the church, they, they gain for themselves a, a personal uh, boldness, a greater boldness in their personal faith that then exemplifies itself in their service to the Lord and in their, uh, in their communication of the gospel and spiritual truth to others, whether it be wisdom or counsel in spiritual matters. And so as we conclude this evening, I think Scripture has taught us that deacons are vitally important for the care of the church they are one of two offices in church leadership. Therefore, they must, Paul says, meet certain qualifications. 
We do not hastily appoint deacons, but we first examine their character and their service. And as we started this evening with this idea, God is most concerned with spiritual life, the spiritual life of those in church leadership, not necessarily their abilities. If they fail to meet these character criteria, they are unqualified to serve, no matter how they appear to be gifted. Why, why do we say that, or why does that really matter? Because they may be apparent, apparently gifted, they may be serving in the church, but if they don't have the right character, then their service is not coming from the right motivations. They may have simple, a simple motivation of trying to you know, get to the top, you know, and that's why Paul says don't, uh, don't allow a novice to, to take on the position of a pastor. You know, rather, let him grow in spiritual maturity. And so a life that is not spiritually well will not have a right motive in service. And so whether they appear to be gifted or not, more importantly, is their character quality. There is no, uh, let me end with this, there, there is no limit to the number of deacons that can serve, except that they meet the certain qualifications laid out here in 1 Timothy 3, as must their wives also meet the according or the respective qualities. Deacons who serve well will gain a good standing before God and the church and will have greater confidence in the faith, which will inevitably lead to more service and greater boldness in communicating and living out the truth. And so as we conclude this evening, I want to encourage all of us, men and women, if you're men, to to consider how am I serving, and uh, perhaps you know look at the example of our own deacons, if I can put them on the spot, and uh, aspire to serve as they serve, faithful ministers of the Lord. And if you're a woman out there, well, God has a role for you as well. Like Phoebe, be a minister, be a servant of the church, uh, and however you can, be uh, adorn yourself with with good works in the church. And God will, God will exalt you for that. And also, uh, the church will also esteem you because of that as well and ha- hold you in high respect. Let's close in a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, as we conclude, we pray that we would come away with a greater understanding and a greater honor toward uh, those who serve as deacons. Lord, it is, it is a, a vital uh, office in the church it is not one to be taken lightly. It is not one to be an office to be quickly filled, but first to examine and test, and then only then appoint. Lord, we thank you for our deacons who serve faithfully. Presently, Lord, we thank you for those who have gone before them and served well. And Lord, we pray that even from our own church, from our own young men in the church, from the youngest of them to the oldest, Lord, that you would even cultivate Uh, today, starting now, a desire to minister in the church, to serve, and to live a life that demonstrates that they are holding fast the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, so that one day, Lord, they too can serve in this position and uh, to help guard the church who is to be the protector of the truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.